In a world suddenly turned on its head by coronavirus, there hasn't been a time in our living memory where the need for calm has been greater than it is right now. Everywhere we look, it can feel like we're surrounded by pain, confusion and fear, all of us living under the dark cloud of an uncertain future. And while we are largely powerless to control the pandemic sweeping across the world, we each have great power within ourselves to control our minds and the way we respond to this adversity. Anxiety is such a chronic um, experience for many people in our society. And I've struggled with anxiety a lot in my life. And even as a long-term meditator, you know, it creeps into my existence, which is it's phenomenal how pervasive it can be. Tom Cronin gives us a quick and easily digestible insight into how we can do just that and where to start. You know, I had friends for five years tell me to meditate. I was like, no interest, you know. I'd much rather go partying and do some drugs. Tom is a keynote speaker and founder of The Stillness Project, an international community of people transforming their lives through the practice of meditation and mindfulness. Like many, he's in self-isolation, but that's not stopping us getting the message out. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. All right, so Tom, right now there are triggers all around us, you know, reasons for us to be alarmed and to be fearful. And we see examples of pain and there's just a general uneasiness to the whole world, which is quite a remarkably unique situation. How do we calm our minds at a time like this? Well, the mind doesn't want to be calm. The mind naturally in its design gravitates towards the most exciting possibilities, the most charming propositions. So Instagram stories, Facebook walls, uh, news stories, media, anything that's going to give the mind some form of excitation and stimulation. So it's not going to be something the mind's just going to want to suddenly just sit down and be quiet. We do need a very structured practice um, and there's a multitude of different practices that we can use to calm the mind down. Um, and it's a matter of finding one that really is most suitable for you. For me, I use a practice of meditation using uh, mantras that take the mind into deep states of transcendence and into uh, in a state of quietness. And I find them to be most effective. Doesn't mean that's the only way, but really we do need some formalized, structured meditation or mindfulness practice that is going to help us segment and compartmentalize time away from the natural tendencies of the mind to chew down information. And so where can people start if they haven't meditated before and say they've lost their job uh, and they're sitting there with the news going nonstop and they might have a family member who's sick, you know, all these things going on, the last thing they're going to think to do is, is sit down and, and be still. What would you say to them in terms of where they can start to uh, quiet themselves down or get some help in that regard? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, and that's so true. And the, the analogy I, I liken to is like a car crash. You know, we don't start giving someone therapy while they're in a mangled wreck in a car. You know, we have to act and we have to act quickly. We have to pivot. We have to adapt. We have to change. We have to navigate through those complexities. Um, and, uh, you know, that requires very decisive action. Action's so important in those times, you know, quickly, you know, for our film, for instance, we were in cinemas and now we're not in cinemas. We have to quickly get up some digital platforms to get our, our film out into the world. So um, it's about being very um, mindful of what we're doing. But when we do get some breathing time and we get some space, 
we then have a choice. We have an experience that we can choose and create. And that is in that time of just pausing, do we pick up the paper and start reading all the dire news and get into more overwhelm and more chaos? Or do we just go, okay, I need to just take some time out and I need to um, take some stillness where I'm not in that hyper-stimulated state. So where do you start? There's a multitude of ways people can learn to meditate. Um, I always suggest at the top of the pyramid, which is starting with a qualified practitioner that is trained in the art of meditation teacher, uh, meditation training. So they are qualified and they will teach you through a specific course. That's usually the most expensive unless it's like a Buddhist practice where they're sort of self-funded through the religion or it's, it's a qualified teacher that works as a professional. Um, so then you'd have to probably pay for that. Um, and it's going to be most likely sitting in the presence of a teacher. So you can look at t- transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation, primordial sound technique, the art of living centres, where you can go somewhere and learn the art of meditation. Um, after that, there's a lot of online programs where you can learn. We have an online program on our website uh, at tomcrona.com or they can learn in our app, Enter the Portal. Um, there's a ton of different apps out there that people can explore learning to meditate where you'll be paying for subscriptions to learn to meditate. And then the final way that you can learn, which is simple, just go to YouTube and you're going to find heaps of meditations. We've got quite a few free meditations on our app, enter the portal, and people can just uh, start there if they want to get some free meditations. What about just the practice of being mindful itself, not necessarily sitting there and meditating, but how can people who are perhaps self-isolating or in quarantine, stuck in their homes for days on end, you know, they're going to be doing the same activities regardless, but how can they do it mindfully rather than not mindfully? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I think the important point here is to discuss the difference between meditation and mindfulness. And some people would put them in the same bucket. I tend to, and again, this is open to discussion, so it's not right or wrong, it's not my um, what I say is, is the only way. It's just my interpretation of this. So it's purely subjective. Um, my understanding and my experience is that I put meditation in something that I do when I withdraw from the world that I'm engaging in. That is, I close my eyes, I withdraw from the senses, and I go into the inner world of transcendence, which is stillness and silence. Stillness and silence is the absence of motion and noise. But when I'm engaging in the world, then I'm in the world of duality, which is subject-object phenomenon, this Tom, and then that's the world I'm engaging in. Meditation, the practice of transcending, helps me access the independent observer, not the ego, but the independent observer that is then in the process of action that enables me to be mindful in my actions. So then I'm conscious of the thinker that is then engaging in things. So how am I thinking? What am I saying? What am I, uh, how am I walking? How am I eating? So mindfulness becomes a lot more accessible if we have a meditation practice. If we don't have a meditation practice and we want to be mindful, we can still be mindful without a meditation practice. It's just a matter of observing how you're eating, observing how you're talking, observing how you're walking, observing in that moment when you go to pick up the remote to turn on the TV, And you choose, do I want to watch the news on TV or do I want to scroll through my Facebook feed or do I want to start reading a book or do I want to do some yoga on the floor? That's a mindful decision as opposed to an automatic response decision. So that's what we can do in those times. And generally when we talk about anxiety, that comes from thinking about the future that hasn't yet come to pass. 
And at a time like this where we are so fearful and a lot of people are surrounded by uncertainty, there's that very big temptation to think ahead and then get caught in a loop of, of panicking and, and worrying about what's going to happen. So what is the, the gift in being able to bring yourself back to the present moment and be where you are, even though that's not the best situation right now, it's better than a imagined future in which everything goes terribly wrong? Yeah, you know, anxiety is such a chronic um, experience for many people in our society. And I've struggled with anxiety a lot in my life. And even as a long-term meditator, you know, it creeps into my existence, which is it's phenomenal how pervasive it can be. So I empathize with anyone that does experience anxiety. Um, you know, I genetically uh, had a very busy mind that naturally by default tended to jump into the future and explore fearful scenarios, which obviously causes a ripple effect of anxiety. And a lot of people listening may probably have that experience as well. And that's just unfortunately by default the nature of the mind that it regresses into the past or projects into the future. It's not conditioned and trained to be in the present moment. Um, and so what we need to do is bring back our power, reclaim our power from the mind. Our mind hijacks our reality because the fundamental reality is that there is only this moment. And when we're only in this moment, then you'll find an incredible sense of peace pervade through your experience of life. Um, it's just that the mind is, is disturbing that present moment by taking you out of the present moment because the mind finds that's incredibly dull and boring when I could much rather project into the future and create this huge anxiety scenario which gives the ego a sense of identity and presence. Especially when we have so many things that help us to do that in our oh, living yeah. space and with the, the news that we watch or just looking around at how other people are reacting, everything's sort of urging you to think ahead and to be anxious. So it's very hard to resist the temptation to do that. Yeah, you know, our mind's getting fueled. It's like being in a candy store with lots of sugar all around it with lots of you know news and Instagram and Facebook and feeds and stuff like that. So um, it's going to require a lot more diligence there's a beautiful quote, the path to freedom is eternal vigilance, and that is eternal vigilance of the mind. So just be very mindful of the tendencies of the mind to run away from what is here, what is now. And some things that we can do to really center ourselves and bring us back to this present moment is just simply come to the breath. And if that's a little bit of a struggle, which is just observing the breath moving through the body, um, if that's a little bit of a struggle, then come to the five senses. What am I tasting? You know, I've got lingering, needless to say, I had some sweet chocolate not long ago as it's the afternoon. I like to have my little two o'clock dark chocolate fix. Um, you, can't, you, you can't treat yourself during a pandemic then when can you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like that's going to get us through. Forget meditation, just dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, what am I feeling? The textures of this chair and the, the cloth of the clothes, you know, the cloth of my clothes on my skin or um, the warmth in the room, uh, what am I smelling, you know, some lingering incense, what am I, um, you know, hearing, which is, you know, your voice and my, my voice. And, you know, just so coming we're to looking for things that anchor us to the present yeah. moment. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And so what are some examples of, for you with your, when you talk about coming back to the breath, do you have a specific count that you do or how would you suggest that people do that? It depends if you want to do it with your eyes open or eyes closed. I do have a what I call the gentle breath meditation in our app, which is really just sitting with your eyes closed and observing the breath moving through the nostrils. And it's a very precise 
um, observation that we make in that meditation, which is to observe a very slight and very delicate cooling of the skin around the rim of the nostril where the air is brushing the moisture. There's a slight moisture that just sort of perforates the skin, just sits there on the edge of the skin around the rim of the nostril. And as the air brushes in and out of those nostrils, it cools the skin around the rim of the nostrils. So with their eyes closed, that's a meditation practice. But if it's uh, eyes open and you're cooking or you're walking or you're you know, just sitting there and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, you could do a counting breath, which is to really regulate the breath deep down. And I, I recommend putting your hands on your belly button with your two, uh, your middle fingers just touching like that and they would touch just over the belly button. And as you breathe in, they should separate. And the reason why we're doing that, and as you breathe out, they should retouch again. And what we're doing here with this practice is we are firstly regulating the breath to be gentle and slow and bringing our awareness to the breath. So it's about taking the mind out of the future and past and into the present. But we're doing it in a way that um, almost forces the breath deep so that we can expand the belly button as opposed to most of us will breathe up here when we breathe the hands will separate up here and the belly button will be unmoved we don't want to do that breathing that's what causes anxiety and what um, what can be the power of breathing correctly and of taking a brief meditation you know whether it's five minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes an hour or consciously being mindful what are some things that that people might feel in terms of a, a change in themselves uh, biologically or in their uh, their mood at the time, what how will people feel differently if they do this? Yeah, it's a great question. The main thing we start to notice with a meditation practice is a shift out of the sympathetic nervous system state and into the parasympathetic nervous system state. So that's what's happening in the bot, bot, body from one system to another system. Now what that actually translates to is a change in biochemistry. When the body moves out of the sympathetic nervous system state, that's the stress response, S for sympathetic and S for stress, moves into the parasympathetic, which is P for peace, then the cortisol and adrenaline that's pumping in the body replaces itself for serotonin and melatonin and oxytocin. So you might start feeling tired, you might start yawning, you might start feeling light, um, and what you reduce is that hyperstimulation that's happening. Now, that leads to a, a whole other trigger mechanism in the body, which is quite phenomenal. But that can become a, a domino effect in the same way that the sympathetic nervous system can set us off and make us anxious and have that snowball where we end up panicking and, and being in fight or flight mode. The same can be true if we get into the parasympathetic nervous system and we can feel calmer and more able to cope with what's happening. And if we can train ourselves to live there more so than sympathetic or at least to come back to it then we're going to start to really affect how we feel day to day yeah absolutely it's 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 for our own physiological mental and emotional benefit that we sustain being in the parasympathetic nervous system state and out of the sympathetic now if you're getting mugged in a laneway someone pulls a gun on you if you've been chased by a saber-toothed tiger by all means kick in your sympathetic and nervous that's, system. That's why it's there for when you're actually it's in real danger. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's there for a reason. You know, it's there to really instantaneously protect you. But what's happening in our world today is that we're staying in these states for long, long periods of time and it's leading to huge imbalances and anomalies in our well-being. And it actually affects us 
physically as well and can do so in a strong way. And I think that that will be amplified at a time like this where people, well, one, they start to think that they're sick or they have symptoms because that thought's been put in their head and that sort of threats all around them. But then also um, being conscious of being stressed like never before, they start to think they have pains or, or illnesses or something wrong with them. Um, and that can be a trick of the mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's It spills over into so many different areas of their life. And um, yeah, it's a misinterpretation. We call it pragyparad, a mistake of the intellect that's perceiving things in a way that isn't necessarily true. How would you say this time can be looked at as an opportunity? Obviously, it's a terrible in so many ways for just about everyone around the world, but we can't deny the fact that it's here and it's happening. How can we look at it as an opportunity rather than as a disaster? It's a difficult uh, and complex um, discussion to be had uh, because we naturally want to see events like this as tragedy and our media will promote it solely as tragedy and the media will only talk about the tragedy because that's where we sell most uh, media. We get most eyeballs on the page. But And Dr. John Martini does a lot of this um, work in the work of polarity, that every experience, no matter what it is, has a polarity of a pleasure-pain dynamic or challenge and support, good and bad. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money and having huge levels of success out of this experience. There's a lot of people that this is benefiting them in many ways. Uh, the planet itself is benefiting from this more than anything. The levels of pollution have dropped dramatically, dramatically in just a short period of time. Families are coming together, people are uniting, people are realizing that they were distracted from core values, people are spending less money. There's a portion of people in our society that are getting uh, obviously dying. This is a tragedy. There's a, obviously a portion of people that are missing loved ones, getting sick, losing jobs, having financial challenges. So there's immense levels of challenge in this experience. There's immense levels of support and success happening in this experience as well. And we've got to look at this in a very balanced way and recognize that this is always playing out no matter what. Before, when we had huge levels of success, which was a share markets on record high, everyone going to Messina ice cream, everyone having Tinder dates, everyone getting Uber Eats, everyone driving around and going to Fiji holidays, but the planet was crumbling around us and we were getting a debt bubble and an enslavement into the banking crisis, which is about to happen again as they suddenly print out 1.2, I think it's two trillion dollars now to pump back into the system. So we just got to be really open-minded and balanced in our perspective of reality and look at the full spectrum, not the spectrum that the news wants you to look at and weigh out both sides of this scenario. It's very difficult for us to even promote the idea that something positive could be coming out of this because some people like to gravitate towards tragedy, mayhem, chaos and destruction. Um, but that's not the only way to look at this. Um, and so how can we as a species grow through this? We can reassess um, what might have caused it. We can reassess what we can, uh, you know, how we can redesign our lives around it. We can reassess how to cope with less money, with less extravagance, with less movement. Um, there's a lot to be said about this experience. Interestingly, today is Nyepi. And Nyepi in Bali is a, a day that's purely allocated by choice to complete isolation. No one in Bali can leave their house today. And the entire country um, 
well, the entire, entire island, I should say, Indonesia's country, the entire island will stay indoors. No one will go outside of doors. The entire island follows this protocol by choice. It's not a rule. It's just a choice. And inside the confines of their houses, no one will talk complete silence by choice. And I think, imagine if we did that at least one day a year, that'd be phenomenal, right? <laughs> what do they think the benefit of that is? It's about realigning them themselves to what are core values, what is designed to bring them to a higher experience that, yes, there are wonderful things that I can have in my world, like working hard or making more money, getting more shares, having a bigger housing por- property portfolio or you know, meeting a date on Tinder or whatever it is. It's external fulfillment that means we continuously need more of it to find fulfillment. And what they reassess in this day is where do I really find it? What, what is true fulfillment? Is it in the external gratification or is it sitting in silence and contemplating a higher connection or a deeper connection to something else? Do you believe this can be an extreme version of that for many of us if we approach it in the right way? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I was sharing with my family a meme that someone posted on Instagram and it was the world having a conversation with itself saying there's no way we can reduce our activity to, uh, you know, reduce climate change and, and the, you know, the environmental footprint. And then uh, Mother Nature saying, here's a pandemic, go and give it a shot. It's possibly some forced way of us doing what we need to do consciously, but we're just not doing it consciously. So it gets designed for us. Yeah, because we won't change sometimes unless we're pushed to do it. Um, Where does gratitude come into it and finding a way to be grateful for what you do have, even when so many things are being taken away, even with all the the devastation and the um, the awful stuff around us that I've spoken about, um, how do we find a way to be grateful still for the things that we do have and what we can control? Gratitude is such a powerful force. It's a, a powerful energy that uh, we're like Wi-Fi modems that emit frequencies. And gratitude is a vibration that emits when we embrace it. Uh, of abundance it's it's a recognition of my abundance regardless of the circumstances so the sun shone on my skin today and served me with light and warmth the wind blew away pollution the trees emitted oxygen the bees pollinated flowers i had food on my table I had a warm shower today. Phenomenal. There's a multitude of things you'll be amazed. And I write 10 things down on my notepad each night by my bedside of things that I'm grateful for. You know, um, my cavoodle, my puppy dog licking my face this morning as I try to wake up. (laughs) You know, there's so many things that you'll be able to find that are a gift and a blessing in our lives. And so now more than ever, we have to be able to have the discipline uh, and the drive, the willpower to still remind ourselves and each other of those things. And I think if we if we can um, try to be leaders at this time, you know, whether it's within your own family or your workplace or for your loved one or for yourself, as we've said, we can't stop what's happening right now, but we can choose to stand up to it and try to be strong and a force of positivity and something that can drive us to get the best out of, you know, a really bad situation. The greatest gift we can give the world 
And sometimes it's a little bit outside our control. There's no question about it. Someone hits up the back of your car and you're in a car crash. Um, there are circumstances that are outside our control, but a lot of times it's inside our control. And our greatest gift we can give the world is our happiness and health. And the world's programming isn't geared towards us feeling happy and healthy. It's deeply conditioned and programmed into us being unhappy and unhealthy because that's where it thrives. Uh, the system works really well if we're unhappy and unhealthy, but the greatest gift we can give to the world if we've got that capacity is to be happy and healthy. And one of the major reasons that I'm sure you come across constantly in your travels across the world when people say, oh, I don't meditate because I don't have time or I'm not mindful because I don't have time, now is such an incredibly rare opportunity where for the first time probably in, in living memory and maybe for a long time after this, pretty much everyone does have, other than healthcare professionals, they do have time. So maybe that means that this is the opportunity to explore those things that they always said, I don't have time to do that. Yeah, it's an it's a interesting concept, isn't it? I, I even used that mantra myself, I didn't have time. You know, I remember when I went to an introductory talk on meditation and and they said, you know, meditate twice a day for best benefits. And I'm like, dude, I'm a broker. I don't have time for meditation. But um, it's, it's, we all have 24 hours in a day. And what we have is an allocation of preferences. And where we allocate those preferences is to seeking fulfillment. All of our time is dedicated towards the quest to be fulfilled, whether it's sleeping, being on Instagram, worrying, reading a magazine, going to the gym, cleaning the bathroom floor. It's all in a quest to be fulfilled. Um, and it's just a matter of where are we searching for it. Uh, and, um, yeah, as you said, now's the time where we've got um, not more time. We still have the same amount of time. We have a greater priority to allocate towards sitting and closing our eyes and connecting to the silence within and the inner bliss that lies within us. There's a great quote from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, a great sage, um, that walked this earth uh, a few years ago and he said no one needs to suffer because there's an ocean of bliss in everyone and what did he mean by that that if we get outside the mind and our emotional body that is in a state of relativity that is subject object phenomenal where the world outside of us is affecting our inner state that is where something good happens we feel good when something bad happens we feel bad if we get something we like, we feel good. If we lose something we like, we feel bad. And we're in this constant flux of ebb and flow of good and bad, right and wrong. And the, that on our emotional body keeps us in this constant peak and trough experience. But if we transcend that, which happens through the meditation process, we find, we call it moksha, which is freedom from the binding effect of life, where the state I'm in isn't influenced by circumstance. It isn't influenced by outcome. It takes a while to achieve that and attain that, um, but this is what's within all of us and this is what inspired our film, The Portal, was to inspire people to become aware of this presence, this existence that lies within us. We've been very distracted in the outer world and haven't really gone exploring to that inner world and finding that bliss, but it is there. And that is our great power as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's immense power. What is the difference between being still and doing nothing? I think that was a quote from Karate Kid. <laughs> well, I did watch that recently, but thats I swear that's not what I, what I got it from. <laughs> Great movie, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sensei. Doing nothing can lead to boredom. Doing nothing can lead to boredom. Being still is a practice. 
being still is the absence of noise and motion. Uh, or silence and stillness is the absence of noise and motion, but being still is the absence of motion. And when we talk about motion, what we're talking about is mental, emotional, and physical. Mental, emotional, and physical. So being still requires all three, being still. Doing nothing can actually still have motion, emotional, which is E in motion, energy in motion, um, mental even when we're physically moving, we can be seen as doing nothing. So there's a big difference there. And what's your response to people who might still, you know, watch this or see some of your other work or all the others on YouTube and everywhere that's so available? The other, the great thing about being alive at this time is if you want to go and learn how to do something, there is so much at your fingertips to go and make that happen. But like you said, people who say, oh, I can't meditate, not, not just that I don't have time, but that I can't do it or it doesn't work for me you know, they're not, I would assume that you wouldn't say they're a lost cause. What do you say to people like that? Yeah, look, you know, I had friends for five years tell me to meditate. I was like, no interest, you know, much rather go partying and do some drugs. Um, sort of the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the complete opposite. Just, and so it's about respecting everyone on their journey. And it's not, if it's not time, it's not time. It might never be time. You know, it might not be your path. You know, you might do plant-based ayahuasca. You might do qigong. You might do yoga. You might do going to the pub and drinking. You know, whatever your quest to be fulfilled is, do that research in that area um, and just see how it turns out for you. You know, there's no judgment. There's no right or wrong. And just your own personal experience is your own personal experience. And that will value. You know, my, my children, I say to them, you do your research and let, your your experience determine whether that is a good avenue to finding fulfillment <laughs> but for people who they, you know their current way of of thinking and, and dealing with their emotions and trying to find some self-control you know if that's not working and they find themselves in chaos and they're unable to control their minds and mm. and their, their thoughts and how they feel um where do they where do they go initially okay yeah right um yeah, you know, um, Google a meditation teacher in your suburb or your city. Um, find someone that's going to help you to master your mind and calm your emotional body and find a sense of peace within. Um, that's my first recommendation. Otherwise, uh, go to our app, go to my website, you'll find some programs there. Um, go to YouTube, you'll find some programs there. Uh, it's, it's, it'd be very difficult not to find somewhere somehow the art of learning to meditate if you've got a mind that's a little bit chaotic um and and you know for me obviously being a meditation teacher it's it's one of the pathways that i highly recommend if you're having external chaos in your world um or internal chaos then either way you're going to need to learn to to calm the mind and the nervous system one thing that i reckon might put people off is thinking that you know it's going to be too complicated or it's going to take months and months and months and years to get some benefit from it. Just how, how simple can it be and how quickly can people find it really beneficial to them? You know, for me, when I started to learn to meditate, you know, I was, I was taking a lot of drugs. I had chronic anxiety. I was depressed. I had panic attacks. I had insomnia. I was suffering agoraphobia, constantly sick, colds and flus. I was in a really bad way. Uh, I noticed change within the first week. But it does depend on the technique. And it depends on how you're learning that technique. I learned a deep transcending meditation, one that would take me quite deep quite quickly. 
and that had significant benefits very quickly. So I noticed change literally. Most of my students will notice a shift within the first day of learning their meditation. Uh, I teach on a weekend and uh, they'll learn the first two sessions on Saturday, the second two sessions on Sunday, and a lot of people report when they come back on the Sunday um, a significant shift, even just walking home that night from the first day. Wow. So it, it can be quite effective, but it does depend on technique and it depends on how you're learning. Like if you're just doing a sort of some guided meditations on YouTube at midnight because you just can't sleep, um, it may help you get to sleep, but is it going to have a deep, deep, profound impact in your state of awareness and how you relate to the world in the first seven days? Maybe not. Maybe no. not. So you got to be focused and you got to want to do it and you got to yeah, that's right. yeah. do it the most yeah. efficient way. But if you do that, yeah. it can be something that happens pretty well immediately for you. And then from there, gets a lot stronger and a lot more helpful as you go along. For you, uh, how is dealing with a situation like what's arisen now and the way that you cope with it and perceive it and help people through it now versus if it had happened to you 20 years ago or whenever you were, before you found meditation, how different do you think that is? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I hadn't thought of that. If I was going through this 20 years ago, I would be probably in a state of fear I would be in a state of, uh, yeah, definitely worry. Um, in today's world, I'm not. Uh, I, I feel compassion for those that struggle with this experience. Um, I um, had been aware of something like this in some way, shape or form, not necessarily an endemic, but a, a crisis of some sort uh, coming around. And we talk about this in our book that I wrote, The Portal, on page two, I only did a post on this yesterday, um, and it's on page two of the portal. We talk about a, a crisis for the world, um, and uh, I was fairly prepared for it uh, in in many circumstances, in financial setup and things like that. So, a lot of this was about preparation and an awareness, and, and my meditation practice helped me have an intuition and a sense of possibility of this coming in some way it's, again it wasn't the nature that i'd forecast which is pandemic but it was some form of crisis you're so, just referring to like a shift in which that, shift, that was going yeah. to affect the the world yeah yeah we, we had very much lost our way as a species and uh we've been getting quite a few messages along the way but we've been ignoring them how optimistic are you that we're going to get the message as as humankind from this and that we're going to be able to emerge from it as people who are more compassionate to each other, more compassionate to the earth, uh, more appreciative of what we have. Do you think that this is going to be enough to change our behaviour and our thinking or are we going to fall back into how we were before? Oh, that's an important question, isn't it? Depends how far this podcast is going to go, how I answer this. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're there yet. We're not, we won't have an enlightened society as a result of this. So we, will, we, we are in the process of becoming more aware. We are in the process of becoming more kind. We are in the process of understanding that our interaction with this planet Earth is a symbiotic dual relationship. Um, we're much more aware than we were in the 2005 GFC, but I don't think we're aware enough for it to be a, a finite thing that we've arrived. Uh, I think um, we've got degrees of awareness coming through this one. 
which will require, unfortunately, possibly in distant times, another rashi of some sort to trigger more growth and more awareness. The governments are going to um, fall back into, as we've already seen, the same patterns that happened last crisis and the crisis before, which is to try to suck us into the system that created the problem in the first place, which is turn on the printing press and give us tons of money to go and spend and spend and spend, which is just causing more of the same problems. So what do we as individuals and as the people, what do we learn from this that we make sure we don't forget afterwards and that the government can't affect you ask really good questions. Um, their greatest power comes from owning our own health and happiness and not being a slave to the system, to empower ourselves, to embody uh, a deep understanding of what, what it takes to be healthy. Of course, you know, if you get a knee injury or a car crash, there's certain things that Western medicine can really provide and it's, it's a wonderful system that has many, many benefits. There's no question about it. But a large portion of our society has very preventative health, um, but they're just not aware of that. And so that's causing huge amounts of enslavement to a system. And the second thing is um, awareness around the financial traps of enslavement to a debt um, system. So we're not, we're not, we're not rewarded in the current system for being responsible with our money. We're rewarded in the current system for spending our money and borrowing. Let's keep interest rates as low as possible um, to promote borrowing and prevent us from saving because the banks don't make money from you when you save. So what we can do here is um, try to claim, reclaim our own economy by keeping life really simple, keeping life really simple. Go back to core values. What really enlivens and enhances your life is spending time in nature, having good connection with family and friends. Um, if you want to have a holiday, go up the coast and go fishing, you know, or go camping and go hiking in the Blue Mountains. Or, you know, we don't need to get in a tin can. Look, I flew a lot last year in Middle East, so I'm just as guilty as everyone else. There's no question about it. I do offset all of my flights, but the reality is I still got in a lot of planes. Um, so it's, it's a good reminder for all of us, myself included, to to just go back to really simple living and uh and 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 if we work less and spend less and have less we can work less and spend less and have less it's a kind of interesting loop mm. yeah and in some ways realize that we have more doing that as well that's uh, so much more that's right exactly yeah it's a good addition yeah it was really interesting to talk to you man i definitely feel better for it uh, so i think i think lots of people will for for hearing it so better go home and get meditating <laughs> good on you man all right have a good day if you got something out of this episode please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts it really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved get onto the young blood podcast community facebook group and follow young blood podcast on instagram and if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.